Pastor Xavier Reese says the wisest move you can make is simply to wait on God. Proverbs says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. The Word of God is a protection for you and myself. Obedience to the Word of God removes me from a lot of danger, a lot of trouble, automatically. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. It didn't seem to matter to the Israelites, just delivered literally from hundreds of years of slavery, that they were now walking right into idolatry by asking Aaron to make us gods that shall go before us. Yet all the while they managed to break the first three commandments in short order, even before Moses had a chance to deliver them from the very hand of God. Pastor Xavier turns to Exodus chapter 32 and a study of the Israelites now on the receiving end of the anger and judgment of God for their apostasy at the foot of Mount Sinai. God has delivered the children of Israel from 430 years of bondage. They have seen the miraculous power of God destroying Egypt. They have witnessed the protection of God on their behalf as he has destroyed the entire Egyptian army at the Red Sea, chapter 1 to 14. And then they have partaken the provisions of God, both water and manna, Exodus 15 through 18. They have seen the theophanies of God's presence, lightning and thunder. They have heard the voice of God giving the Ten Commandments. And they have committed themselves to the Book of the Covenant. They're at the foot of Mount Sinai, Exodus 19 to 24. And they have received the instructions of the tabernacle and his furnishings to worship God in the proper way, Exodus 35. And now you have chapter 32 to 34, which is an interruption because sin comes in. Always remember that. Sin will interrupt your fellowship with God. Always. And in spite of all these things, as Moses was up on Mount Sinai with God receiving the pattern of the tabernacle to worship, the people turn to worship the golden calf, which unfolds for us in a threefold movement here. Now, due to the length of the text, I'll be reading it as I go along instead of reading it all together. Uh, but let me give you the three movements so we can follow them. First, we have the idolatry of the people at the foot of Mount Sinai, verse 1 through 6. Secondly, we have the anger of God with the idolatrous people at the foot of Mount Sinai, verse 7 through 14. And then the last movement is the judgment on the idolatrous people at the foot of Mount Sinai, verses 15 to 35. The idolatry of the people at the foot of Mount Sinai is where we begin. Notice in verse 1, we find the impatience of the people. The people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, verse 1 tells us. Moses had been up there already 40 days, if not close to it. And Moses had gone up there, walked into the cloud, and he was there for 40 days and 40 nights, Exodus 24, 18 tells us. Later, Moses telling the second generation in Deuteronomy 9, 9, speaks again about the 40 days, and he did not eat bread or water. Now, this is the first 40. He's going to go up for 40 again. So really, it was 80 when you add them all up. Now, don't try that. It is a miracle. Now, 
Notice the people were trusting what they could see instead of what they were told by God. Sight instead of faith. There in verse 1. They were to obey God's voice and keep his commandments and covenants. And to be a special treasure, if you remember, in Exodus 19, 5 and 6. A kingdom of priests, a holy nation. They were to consecrate and sanctify themselves to God. They're at the foot of Mount Sinai. Exodus 19, 10, 14. And they, all the people, answered all together. Listen to their words. Exodus 19, 8. All that the Lord Yahweh has spoken, we will do. This is always the, the words that we speak. But it's the follow through that's important. Let me tell you, this is not the exception. This is the rule for God's people, okay? We promise a lot of things, but we hold true to very little. Because we get our eyes on ourselves and we live for ourselves. The lessons of the people of God are for the people of God, okay? For you and me. We never change. Still in verse 1, notice the people gathered together to Aaron requesting that he uh, make them gods to go before them. Moses had left Aaron in charge of the people, remember. God had not called Aaron, but Moses, but he kept insisting. So in Exodus 4, 14 through 16, God says, okay, you keep, there's your brother, take him with you. We have to be careful when we keep bugging God about our will and he gives us a permissive will. We can add to our hurt, you understand? The people quickly reverted to the idolatry of Egypt, crediting the deliverance of, of Egypt to these idols, these gods. What's wrong with the picture? And he said, how could they do that? There they are, right there. People are always looking for those leaders that are weak and willing to compromise the word of God. Remember, a mixed multitude went out with them in Exodus 12, 38. And there are always people who will come to weak sheep and suck you in. You understand? And weak leaders. The people had not seen Moses, verse 1 tells us, who brought him out of Egypt and did not know what had become of him. Moses had been used by God to deliver them from Egypt. Moses had led them across the Red Sea. Moses had led them through the wilderness to Midian, at the very foot of Mount Sinai. And now Moses, nowhere to be seen, they freaked out, being concerned with themselves, not Moses. Look at verse 2 through 5. We have a lack of wisdom of Aaron. In verse 2, Aaron told the people to remove their earrings of their wives, their sons, daughters, and to take them to him. And um, these would have come from the collection of the back wages. Remember, in Exodus 3.22, they spoiled Egypt. They came out wealthy. The materials also would be given by the people to construct the tabernacle, the furnishings, uh, chapter 25 to 31. You get it later on, 34 to 39, the construction. Now, in verse 3, notice they did so, and they brought them to Aaron. And Aaron should have rebuked and opposed the people rather than listening and conceding to the request of apostasy. He was going to be the high priest. He's a brother of Moses. Aaron should have pointed them to God, his word, and the leadership of Moses. He did not. He received the gold from their hand, verse 4 tells us, and fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a molten calf. Who is this guy? Aaron, the brother of Moses, the high priest. Aaron compromised all that God had done for the people. Aaron compromised his own devotion to God and the people, breaking the first three commandments, have no other God, make no images, taking his name in vain. 
Aaron shaped the calf with an engraving tool. This is important because we're going to see his lame excuse later on. Ladies and gentlemen, we as the pastors are to set the agenda according to the scriptures, not the world. You as parents, you set the standard for your children. You don't let them set the standard. You don't lower the bar. That's the way it is. Notice verse 4, then the people said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. The leading culprits proclaimed these gods, delivered them from Egypt. What a contradiction. Using the name Israel, which means governed by God, God prevails, but crediting to these gods, these idols. And many people do that. Jeroboam later on, when the kingdom was divided, after Solomon through his son, Rehoboam, and then Jeroboam, Jeroboam set up the calf worship in the northern kingdom in Dan and in Bethel. Nothing new. God's people don't learn, do they? Look at five. Aaron became fully entrenched in the event. He saw the calf, and then he built an altar before it. You think he would stop. Learn from sin. One step leads to the next. He was a weak leader, giving the people what they wanted. Aaron also made a proclamation. Tomorrow is the feast to the Lord Yahweh. This is called syncretism. The mixing of pagan or foreign things with the things of God and calling them biblical or scriptural. Notice in verse 6, you have the corruption of the people. They arose early on the next day and they worshiped their gods through offerings, burnt offerings for dedication and consecrations to God. We'll find this out in Leviticus 1.4. Peace offerings were for fellowship with God. We'll find that with in Leviticus 3.1. And the people sat down, defiled themselves by their own worship. They ate and they drank communion, being one with these gods. They turned from their oneness with the only true and living God to false gods. So quickly, we're going to see this. They rose up to play, it says, in a carnal and lewd manner. The word play there means to defile themselves through sexual orgies, used when Abimelech saw Isaac through the window being intimate with Rebekah in Genesis 26, 8. Now the context makes it wrong or appropriate. <laughs> Here it's inappropriate. It's pagan sexual worship. These were the pagan practices of the land, as you know. The Bible reveals since the fall that man is a rebel against God, as you know. That even those who walk with God can add to their own hurt by being impatient with the will and the timing of God, making that pursuit an idol. Abraham and Sarah did that, figuring out to have a son, and they had Ishmael through Hagar. Impatient, Genesis 16. They created a problem for themselves and the entire nation until the present day. Saul offered sacrifice rather than waiting for Samuel to come, being impatient for Samuel 13, 8 through 13. God rent the kingdom from him. Many Christians have added to their hurt and made their lives more difficult by not obeying God. I wish to God you could sit in my office these 35 years and hear people who sit in there of how they commit themselves to certain things and they mess their life up, Christians. Proverbs 3, 
5 through 8 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. He doesn't want sight. He wants obedience. The word of God is a protection for you and myself. Obedience to the word of God removes me from a lot of danger, a lot of trouble automatically. When Christians do not wait on God, they act according to their own wisdom. Be it in waiting on God to confirm the person to marry. So they go out looking, searching. According to their own understanding, they rationalize things. And so a lot of young people get desperate thinking they're never going to marry and they compromise and they find a good moral pagan thinking they're going to convert them and now they have a divided home. Now they have a messed up life. And, and then they turn around and say, but God, why would God do it? We're going to see this. They blame God for their disobedience. You're not a robot. Christians in their sight compromise. And in their slight compromise, if there is no repentance or correction, will continue compromising and get involved in things they never even thought they would ever get involved in. It's amazing. Sin is not static, it's progressive. The liberties of drinking, perhaps, move into other areas, maybe drugs. The rationale about fornication and adultery is very progressive. Even making God one. I've heard people tell me, you know, you know, God brought this woman to me. You're a liar. You're, you're married. I mean, God brought you this woman. You're making God with your sin, one with it? You're lucky it doesn't strike you dead. Little lies, bigger lies can move to other things, stealing or whatever it may be. It happens. Sooner or later, attending church regularly is kind of impossible nor Bible studies, certainly not being involved. And so, before you know it, you're just out there. Jeremiah 2.19 says, God's speaking through him, your own wickedness will correct you, and your backslidings will rebuke you. Know therefore and see that it is an evil and bitter thing that you have forsaken the Lord Yahweh, your God Elohim. And the fear of me is not in you, says the Lord Yahweh Elohim of hosts. Whenever is the Lord God of hosts, it's the captain of the armies of heaven. Those are fighting words. He's fighting against his own people. Real simple. Those who have turned their back on him. Departure from the faith, for whatever reason, is never good nor wise. The prophetic warning is clear. In 1 Timothy 4.1, now the Spirit expressly says in latter times some will depart from the faith. The book of Hebrews gives us five warnings, very progressive, very severe in their, in their growth, in their nature. Let me give them to you. Hebrews 2.1 says, don't drift from what you have heard. Hebrews 3.12, don't disbelieve or depart from the living God. 5.12, don't degenerate in your spiritual growth. 1029, don't despise the spirit of grace. 1225, don't defy what you have heard. The warning is against disobeying the call of God. It's the people of God he's talking to. Those who tell you the book of Hebrews is not for today, they're crazy. 
The book of Hebrews is speaking to Christians who came to Christ and now went back. They're not just for the priest. It's for today. The idolatry of the people at the foot of Mount Sinai was treacherous. Notice the second movement is the anger of God with the idolatrous people at the foot of Mount Sinai, 7 through 14. In 7 through 9, the command for Moses to return to the camp is given. In 7, God commanded Moses to descend from the mountain. The Lord said, Moses, get down. And this has been the fifth ascent of Moses on Sinai. There would be two more in Exodus 32.1 and 34.2. The reason was that the people had brought, that he had brought out of the land of Egypt had corrupted themselves, he says there at the end of verse 7. God disowns the people saying to Moses, your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt. The word corrupted is used of the apostasy of Noah's days. It means to ruin, to be destroyed, Genesis 6.12, same word. Notice God informed Moses of their disobedience in verse 8. God told Moses they had turned aside quickly out of the way he had commanded them and that they had vowed to, remember. The word quickly means in a hurry. This is the amazing thing. They didn't revere the words or the authority of God they had heard. God told Moses they had made themselves a molten calf in verse 8 there. Worshipped and sacrificed to it. In their worship, it means they bowed down, prostrating themselves, declaring the worthiness of these gods. In their sacrifice, they slaughtered to invoke the favor of these gods. And so God quoted to Moses their very words. Listen to him in verse 8 there at the end. This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. Listen, revising their history. This wasn't their history. God gave to Moses his assessment of the people. Listen to him there in verse 9. And the Lord Yahweh said to Moses, I have seen the people, and indeed it is a stiff-necked People, Yahweh knew their rebellious heart. This is the implication. They're stubborn like a mule. He saw their idolatrous conduct here, and their conduct only confirmed what he knew already. This was not news. He knew it. It only confirmed it. Notice in verse 10 through 14, the proposal of God to Moses is then given to us. God told Moses to leave him alone, that his wrath might burn hot to consume them, making of him a great nation. This was a leadership test to Moses, whether he really loved the people or not. This was Moses' test. The people at the foot of the mountain failed theirs. His was up on top of the mountain. This was the opportunity of Moses to get rid of these complaining murmurs once and for all. Verse 11, Moses responded like a loving shepherd and faithful leader. Moses quickly pleaded with Yahweh, his God, as a servant. How do we know that? He says, Lord, Yahweh. No matter what has happened through him, he still remembers he's a servant. And Moses pleads there in verse 11, Why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Moses gave the people back to Yahweh. Notice, your people, whom you brought out of the land of Egypt. At this point, nobody wants them. 
But then Moses gave God the glory. This is so important. It was his power and might that had delivered the people. That's good. Moses defended God's reputation then. Moses declared that the Egyptians might say Yahweh simply had taken them out of Egypt to bring harm and kill them on, at the mount and to end their existence. And so the Egyptians would conclude that God could not fulfill his promise. In fact, that God had lied. Now, Moses positioned here as he is petitioning that God turn from his fierce wrath in verse 12 and relent from his harm to his people is amazing. Moses, look at 13, he reminded Yahweh of his covenant promise. Yahweh had promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob or Israel, his servants, swearing by himself. Yahweh has said he would multiply them as the stars of heaven, giving all the land declared to their descendants an inheritance forever. And at this point, now God concedes to Moses in verse 14. Does that amaze you? We read the Lord relented in verse 14, which means to be sorry, to move to pity or compassion. Of the 38 times it appears, only two refer to man. For man's repentance is a different word. And the repentance of God or relentance of God is different than man's repentance. And we should never equate this word with the same way we equate it with man. For God cannot change his mind. He cannot lie. Numbers 23, 19 and many other areas. But he does alter what he was going to do when there's intercession, when there's repentance, and when he has compassion and pity. That's his sovereignty. And he never violates his holiness to it. And we just have to rest in that. You understand? When the scriptures tell us that God repented, it simply means it grieved him. It stirred him to compassion and pity for the people or intercession or repentance. The specific is from the harm notice, which he was going to do to the people. Remember, this was a test for Moses, we said. So we have one of two choices to interpret our text at this point. First, either Moses at this point was more compassionate and more loving than God. That's the first. And the second is that Yahweh God here placed this desire in the heart of Moses to lift it up to God in intercession to end up doing what he wanted to do. Let me propose that I think that it's our second option because man is not more loving, more compassionate than God. In fact, we are told that that's exactly what God does in us and through us to get some of those things done. There are some things God will do only through prayer and other things he'll do without prayer. But when he wants certain things done, he seeks people to seek him. He places desires in their heart to be lifted up to him so he can respond and our confidence can be in him. Let me give you a scripture. Romans 8, 27 says, Now he, God, who searches the hearts, knows what the mind of the Spirit is. Capital S, Holy Spirit. Because he, the Holy Spirit, makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. That's exactly what's happening here, ladies and gentlemen. A yielding vessel to bring about the will of God through intercession. 
Pastor Xavier Reese, delivering a study of a God delivering on His promise to deliver His people. Simple truths drawn from our continuing series of the book of Exodus and encouragement that God continues to seek our intercession. And there's much more of this message to come next time. But if your schedule won't permit you to tune in, as always, you can pick up a copy. And the title you'll want to ask for is simply The Apostasy at Sinai. It's available on CD for just $4. And this might be a study you'd like to pass on to someone in your church or a Bible study when you're through. Now, once again, the title to ask for is The Apostasy at Sinai, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then join us for more Simple Truths next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 